Welcome to episode 595 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 595 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Pretty good. Got a bike ride today, I can tell. Just a little bike ride. Got a commute. Got to put a few flyers in letterbox telling people about an event that's on this weekend. What, what event's that? It's the Christmas Cracker Triathlon and Duathlon. What, you're going to do a mail drop? Well, my lovely wife and daughter, they did the part of the mail drop on Sunday while I was coaching. So wait, you're just going around the whole area, you're going to specifically p- 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 legally. This is another thing you've got to do as a race director, you've got to put a leaflet drop around the entire course so people know that it's on, so they don't reverse out of their driveways. You hope they don't reverse out of their driveways. How many houses do you got to do? Oh, not many. They, they, they were just a few short, so I've got to go out and finish the job. 10, oh. 15 houses. Oh, that's all right then. That's all right. I went out that way. We went to uh, Cass Bay on Friday. This is in Sumner. Oh, the Christmas not is not out in. Mm. Oh, mm. that's disappointing. I thought didn't it used to be ever in Corsia Bay. No, never. No. Oh, the Christmas. Oh, I was I was out Saturday morning, out Saturday morning with my runners and and uh, it looked like there was a young triathlon group of Hellemans here. Yes. Who are they? Yep, that's our academy athletes. Oh, the academy athletes. They're looking pretty sharp. Back to you, Bevan, for a weather report. Well, today, John, <laughs> do you know what? You know what? This is I've got a weather fact, and I'm sure you saw it on the news last night. Mm-hmm. We're having a rain in Christchurch for 43 days. I thought it was 47. 47 days, team. Mm. And it's the first time in 70 years. Mm. Jeez, who needs IM Talk? We could just weather report with John and Bev. IM Talk is proudly brought to you by? At, uh, F, uh, athletics.com. Social networking for insurance athletes. Extreme insurance. Galactic <laughs> buffer. And our patrons. And John, name a couple because you didn't put them on my show notes. Jeremy the Canadian Hopwood. Nice. Skip. Slade, Peanuts, and Mr. President, Matthew Reagan. Oh, yeah, that, that's obvious one. Mm. Yeah, oh, Reagan. That's right. Oh, Reagan. When I was a kid, Reagan, I thought he was awesome. Did you? I didn't really know if he was a good president or not, but <laughs> just because he was a movie star, I knew he was a president. There you go. It's a win-win. Okay, John, uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. It's a pretty poor one. We have Stastic. We don't have a high five. John, history lesson. Yep. Good work. Uh, we're going to interview with a guy called Matthew Evans, and he's going to be talking about cheating. Why people cheat, John? Why do they cheat? Uh, we've also got Wanger of the Week and questions and answers at the end. John, news is going to be a two-minute segment oh, today. it's huge. Huge week of news. But we did have a Taupo 70.3 and another race without the swim. Yes, yeah, so down here we had some algal bloom pop up in the lake, which means the swim got cancelled. Which is, again, because of the weather. Yes, so it's a real concern down here because we're at the start of summer and so lakes all around the world get the algal blooms, but down here traditionally, you know, it might be later in the summer. So some got cancelled and Taupo, if you don't haven't been there or don't know anything about where we have Ironman in New Zealand, it's a massive lake. It's about yeah. 100 and what, ballpark 100 miles to go around the lake uh, and massive holiday spot. And beautiful. So in, in New Zealand, you know, when holidays happen, it's this is our big holiday season. We're Christmas time. And know. places like Taupo, like yeah. they go from like a two thousand population to like a hundred thousand. Slight exaggeration, no, but yes, two million. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, totally along. And people are out there boating. You go there because you're on the water. You're going boating. You're going swimming. Yeah. And nobody's going to be allowed in the water. So it's it's not just big news for triathlon. Um, but the other real concern is obviously 
can't think this is going to clear up by the time Iron Man New Zealand comes around, which is which is all the way in March. But when algal blooms come, if you have hot weather, they don't go away until the weather until the water cools off again. So real concern, I think, for anybody. Um, and there's doing no Iron Man you can't really do a backup campaign, can you? There's nowhere else to swim, is there? Um, around Taupo, you know. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Because if I that's the case, so. they need to be thinking contingency, contingency plans right now. Mm. So, because we can we can kind of say, well, this may, there's a pretty high chance it's going to be a problem. Unless so we get to race down and go, oh, the kids with the swim. And it's like, well, you know, last weekend we go, oh, bad luck. Mm. But in foresight now, but at the same time, if there's no other option, we well, are just kind of screwed. Mm. So anyway, to the racing. Um, it's obviously a Kiwi race, only a 70.3, but we're Kiwis, so we like to promote it. And even better, we have our local lad, Mike Phillips from Christchurch. It is no of news this week. So. took out the race. So they ended up having a three, about a 3K run to start, and then they did the bike and, and then the full run. So he held uh, had a great race, really just killed it at one stage, fairly late in the bike, and came off with a couple of minutes lead. Uh, well, yeah, Braden did have a bike mechanic, didn't he? He did apparently, yeah. yeah. But in terms of Mike Phillips, he was off um, with uh, a good gap to the main contenders. There was also, I think Ben Collins was was right up there as well, but he got a one-minute penalty um, for not racking his bike in the correct place. So he sort of tumbled down the board. But yeah, Mike Phillips ran strong to hold off Braden Curry, one of the best you know athletes in the world, which was great. Callum Millwood from New Zealand third. And Dylan McNeese uh, uh, was in fourth place, which is a solid result because we know that the swim is his strength and for him to be able to hang tough there and get fourth was uh, was a good result. And equally on the girls' results, so it was a real breakthrough for Mike because he's a bit of a often gets second in races yep. and really good performances, but he's got so many podiums. Um, and yeah, so to be, to be able to beat someone like Braden Curry is a fantastic result. And equally on the girls' side, and Callum, because Callum's a decent athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Um, uh, on the girls' side, again, we had a bit of a breakthrough performance there by Amelia Watkinson, who's a Kiwi. She lives over in uh, around sort of Tanyapura, and uh, she beat home a very strong field. So Jocelyn McCauley was in second place, Laura Dennis from Australia in third, and Laura Siddle in fourth. So um, very solid performance. Uh, Gina Crawford's back to racing. She was down in 11th place, so she's going to build up for the uh, Challenge Wanaka halves. So all in all... Very solid field for a Kiwi race. Kylie Cox got mm-hmm. third in her third in her age group. Well done, Kylie. Nice work. Smashing it out, mate. Yeah. Smashing it out. She was pretty happy not to have the swim, I think. Right. <laughs> it must be awesome when you're someone who's, you know, swimming might not be your strength, or you might not be that swim fit right now. I know it's a triathlon, and I know you meant to have a swim, but that day, like you are mate last week. Well, yeah, no, you, you would, I totally agree. You would go, fantastic, that gives me a competitive advantage, but I still think. On some level, they're still going to be disappointed there's not a swim, you would hope. Uh, you're, you're doing triathlon. Yeah, I don't think I'd be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm one of those cheats we talk about later on the show. Um, that's, it, that's it for news this week. We've basically got a couple of halves down under. There's one in Australia, the Sufferfest Mount Martha, and we've got another half in New Zealand, the Rotorua half. That is it for the news, and I don't anticipate there being much news next week. So. Does Rotorua get many halves? I mean, many people at the race? Yeah, they used to. I don't know these days, but they used to get massive. Yeah, where it was a big race, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. When's, where's that, when's the mount? That is at the start of January, early January. That's always a big one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Okay, John, well, we'll, we'll be interested to see with Wanaka coming as a half now. You know, we've got quite a few halves in our season. Back in the old days, you pretty much had two, didn't you? 
Yeah, there's sort of three or four now. Yeah, you have the Auckland, but they're always, always late in the season. You've got many there. But I think probably the more important thing is, is for, say, a challenge Wanaka, whether you're actually going to see people go, I don't want to risk it at Taupo if they're entered already. I want to make sure that I'm doing an iron distance race with a swim. Maybe I'll transfer to Wanaka. Oh, you, you think that may happen? I mean, I'd certainly... It depends what your motivation is. If you're trying to qualify for Kona or something like that, then you might go, I'll stick with it, and irrespective. But if you want to be doing an iron distance race with a swim, I don't know, it's worth John, contemplating. John, I'm looking ahead to the next segment. So we've got discussion of the week coming up. And uh, this may be one of the worst ever, John. Well, last week I was just I was this. trying to add layers to it, to, and you said, no. <laughs> no, this is going to fire. This is going to be fan. And we got three answers. I only, not, I only registered two. One of them wasn't really an answer, was well, it? Mark, well, yeah, true. He didn't even read, yeah, but still, <laughs> three replies. Jeepers, so creepers. The topic was, we had the, the week before was the best things. Oh, that was good. Best popular. presents you've had or yeah. best things you've bought this year. Like 50 Basically comments on that popular. one. Yep. This week, I thought we're going for the worst ones. You must have had some crap things either people have given to you or things that you bought that were just a waste of money. Yep. Doesn't it, it appears we've got very intelligent listeners and very intelligent buyers? Buyers of mm. people that give you guys presents because most of you seem pretty happy. Okay, well, you go what? You do one, I'll do two. And this first one wasn't even a present. Good old speedwalker Richard Swan. Not sure if this counts, but I bought a wetsuit, never wore or raced in it, and then Swim and I Man New Zealand was cancelled. So 750 bucks down the drain. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Lucy Francis got the worst try thing I ever bought was a bike bottle with a straw for in between the aero bars and a yellow sponge thing that fell off as soon as the bike went over the slightest bump in the road i had that one mm. yeah the sponge thing was a waste of time uh the water keeps splashing at me and the straw had a mind of its own i used to use it mine wasn't actually so bad mm. i think eventually what they did because when you first got them they just give you a couple of rubber bands yeah and then eventually they had the brace didn't they right yes. yeah and the brace was the, the key to that and it's this week's discussion <laughs> <laughs> what was the third one on there uh mark adrian hernandez has got not receiving any try presents ever Oh, poor Mark. Mark. Let's give Mark a hug, John. Uh, John, what's, I don't know, presents. Let's just say worst thing you bought. Because I had a few things, and these are not uh, necessarily criticisms of products, but they're things that I basically haven't used very much. And and in some cases, I would like to use, but just haven't got around to it. Um, First one was a swim metronome. Which is like that? You put it in your underneath your swim. So it's helping you for your speed, is it? And sort of helps you with your stroke rating. And. It's just been sitting there, just gathering dust. Did you ever use it? (laughs) I think I maybe took it to the pool once, uh, and then it's just sat there collecting dust. Do you think you get out of rhythm? Sorry? Do you think there's a value for something like that? Most of these things I'm going to talk about are um, tools, like doing drills and things like that. So you wouldn't do it all the time, but you might go to the pool and do a set where you're going, I want to do 10-100 steady, and I want to be trying to hold my um, cadence the same. So a bit like your cadence on the bike. So I I definitely think there's benefit to it. It's just something for me that has collected dust. A second thing that has collected a lot of dust, and again, I would like to be using um, more, is the old Vibram Five Fingers. uh, Did you buy some? No, I got gifted them, thankfully. Uh, good old Pete McLeod gifted me a oh, pair. Oh, nice. Which was very nice of Pete. Oh, now you make Pete feel bad. Well, no, I have used them, and the intent is there to use them a lot more because my feet haven't grown, so they still fit, they That's still good. fit me. Yeah, um, but Pete is a fantastic helper of triathlon. Put him up on the pedestal because he often helps out with events, just there, wants to build club culture and things like that. Fantastic. Good man. on you, Pete. So the Vibrams. I have used them and have used them a reasonable amount, but sparingly, just probably more out of the hassle factor of actually going, well, I don't really want to run on the road. I've got to take them to the park. And then if I'm going for a run, I've got to carry them down. So they are something. You that could I, drive to the park. 
Why driving anywhere? Why would you do that? Well, because you complain. You don't do the thing you meant to do because you got to run to the park. You drive to no, the park. Don't drive. Don't mm. drive. Bike Ooh. the park. Hide them in the bushes. Be the solution. Or carry them in my lazy hands. So there, there's definitely lazy hands. Yeah. See, that's great podcasting. <laughs> anyway, vibrant is something that I um, I do like as a product. Haven't used as much as I should have. Would like to. Can you still get them? You can, but they they do. Because didn't they get shoes. sued? One of them got sued, didn't they? Let me have a look. Vibram, I'll look up Vibram. People you spell probably, it right. You if we were based, right. if we were based in states, people would probably try and sue us. You sue anybody in America, don't you? Yeah, you sue everyone. Oh no, you can still get them. That yeah. trick. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're pretty popular. Um, the other thing I don't use as much as I would like to is swim cords. They sit there collecting a lot of dust. Really, really beneficial. And I know a lot of you guys, I bet, have them sitting there as well. Massively beneficial. But oh just, no, they did get sued. They did. <laughs> yeah, so Vibram US, the company that made Five Fingers Running Shoes, have agreed to settle a lawsuit that alleges the company made false and unsubstantial claims about the health benefits of the glove light footwear. According to the court filings, Vibram settled to put the matter to rest and avoid any additional legal expenses. Vibram expresses de- expressly denies and continues to deny any wrongdoing alleged to in the actions. So, so they paid the money, but we didn't do anything wrong. Mm. So, so swim cords, fantastic tool. I don't use them enough, um, but definitely think if you've got them sitting around, especially if you're going through winter, fantastic technique tool, fantastic way to just bump up a little bit of extra swim-specific strength into your program. It's one of those things you've just got to make a bit of time to make it happen. And then the last when one... When you use them, what, at the pool or at home? Oh, at home, you can use them. You can use them as a warm-up um, exercise, but I would more likely use them at home and just maybe incorporate them into doing like a, a core strength routine. So you might yep. go, I'm doing 30 minutes of core. I'm going to do, um, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of specific core work, and then I'm going to attack on sort of five to 10 minutes of specific strength work, uh, swim strength work at the end. So really good tool, but for me, collected a lot of dust. And the other one we mentioned um, last week was the old Stride Power Meter. I've got one, used it quite a bit in terms of in the lead up into to rote, but for me personally, I find that I can get enough information um, out of my Garmin for the for the courses that I run on and for where I train. Um, it would be totally different if I was going to be doing a different course, say like uh, Ultraman. You know, we talked about um, with Rob Gray last week. If I was doing that course, that's something that I would definitely use. Or the Motor Tepe Marathon. Like if I was going to do that, I, mm. I was thinking about doing it. It's not going to work timing wise, but I'd love to do that race. Mm. It's a good hilly marathon. You know, you can use power as a real gauge. Especially when you know, in, in Ultraman, you've got that long downhill and potentially you might have a really strong um, tailwind, which has sounded like they have this year. So environments like that, I think it could be really beneficial. But for me personally, I'm finding that I get enough out of my Garmin in terms of cadence and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and just, I'm sort of starting to pull away a bit from some technology, just thinking people are just getting, spending too much time looking at the numbers, analyzing that, looking into this, that, and the other thing. All effective tools, but just if you invest a bit more of that time and energy into training, I think you'll get more of a benefit. But technology has made us better athletes. Mm, I don't just don't disagree with that. But some people are just starting to take it a little bit too far, spending so much time in front of their computers looking at this and yeah, looking for true, all these yeah. golden solutions. Whereas it's you know the old Sato way is just get rid of all your devices essentially, um, and just get out there and make it happen. So for me, I'm just kind of thinking I, I don't have that many things. I, I haven't used the Stride. We, we have it, but my watch is more the problem is my watch is too old. Um, you can use it with your phone. But I like Strava. This so. is something that's shit that I got this. My bloody 
tried to replace my life-proof case and got one off trade me. I think it's a fake. It's not working properly. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I suppose I need to go and upgrade because I can't, I can't get the case because my phone's a bit old. And how old's your phone? It's a, what's that? A, it's a five. Oh, John, how do you survive with that? Quite easily. Is it pretty painful? Much. No. The, the case is painful. Have you upgraded the OS? That's where you have, but you probably haven't upgraded your OS. Do not upgrade your OS. <laughs> I think I have already. Because I had the six and I upgraded my OS and it killed it. Yeah. So I've got the 10 now, John. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Face ID. I love my Face ID. It's Don't cool. need all that shit. I just need to be able to message, text people. You know what? The phone, phone is the one thing I'm willing to spend a lot of money on. You told us. You got a naked picture of Joe on your phone. Yeah, you face. want to have a look, mate? Yeah, there you go. No, it's oh, a no, wedding it's a picture. picture. <laughs> it was just, I saw a bit of skin there. Let me get a bit of skin out for you. <laughs> um, for me, the Stride, I haven't used it. It's partly because I need better technology to use with it. Um, but I'm also, I'm not someone who needs to upgrade my technology. My phone, but I had my phone for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, like my Garmin, I got my Garmin about five years ago. Mm. Still does what I need. I'm, yeah. I'm just when I'm running, I only use pace. Mm. You know, so why would I upgrade my Garmin? I don't really need to upgrade my Garmin. Although if someone from Garmin wants to you know, <laughs> hook a brother up, you know, or Polar. I know we've got some Polar listeners. You want to hook a brother up? <laughs> um, but um, so I haven't used the Stride. I do like the idea of using the Stride, particularly because I would like to do some off-road racing next year. Mm. So it's something I would get into. Um, I did have another thing that I haven't, I never really used, but I can't. It's totally fallen out of my head. Running shoes lately. No, I just used the Boost. Mm. I love the Adidas Boost. I was trying to say, you just haven't been using your running shoes enough Oh, no, no. Well, no, I pulled my hamstring again, so I'm kind of just trying to get... I'm kind of not running until the end of the year anyway. Um, What was the other thing? I had something that I I spent money on that I thought was a total waste of time. John, I can't remember. I'm sure it'll come back to me later in the show. So when it comes up, I'm going to just totally stop what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to let you know what... what, Don't you hate when that happens? hate it. When something pops out of your head Mm. and it was life-changing information. Anyway, John, this week's discussion... What has been your moment of the year and in terms of triathlon stuff? This is your moment. And this is so, what we're trying to do here is, it, is it just a snapshot moment. It's not like, you know, the performance of uh, Patrick Langer all the way through the race at, at Ironman Hawaii. Oh, so it's, it's more, not your moment? It, it's just a moment. So, like, for me, one of the real key moments that I enjoyed this year was Andrea Hewitt. Sprinting to finish in oh, that was pretty Abu Dhabi. Cool. I think it was Abu Dhabi, and then her speech afterwards. That was yeah. probably my highlight of the the year in terms of a uh, from a Kiwi perspective. So it's not not looking for the best performance of the year, but just some moment that you saw or out there on the course. Um, and Can just, it be your moment? I suppose it can be. We probably want a few. The way you've worded it, yeah, we want more than three answers, John. <laughs> People love talking about themselves. So, what's your moment? So, because when I interpreted, I thought, oh, well, like I thought you said, okay, well, it's not the race; it's kind of the moment in your training or something like that. That's how I interpreted it. It could be okay. It can be that, but it's also just any uh, cool try that you've viewed. So, because I know that everybody comments before they listen to this on the yeah. show, so see if you can word it to the best of your ability. I Devin. just copy and paste, John. <laughs> copy and paste. I check for spelling and then I, I missed the spelling mistakes. <laughs> yeah, anyway. don't check. <laughs> you need to check my spelling and then you need to email the old grinder, get her to double check it and then we'll be... Um, is she, is she okay. the spelling? Well, she pulled us up on the bought and brought last week. And I think she was... Did she pull you up on the bottle? <laughs> The what? The bottle, your triathlon bottle. Your triathlon. Oh, no, no, she didn't. I pulled myself up on that. 
Stats-tastic. It's fantastic. So we're continuing on with Thorson's great work from tryrating.com, and we've got a link to the article that has all the records if you want to check out your country. But today we're going to look at, is it France and Spain? Just just a couple of ones we didn't mention last week, and we are going to have Thorson on the show next week. So, yeah, Bevan will have a link in the show notes if you want to go through this. But he has got the fastest five times of all time, um, male and female, fastest swims, fastest bikes ever, fastest runs ever, continental records, and then national records. And I think we went over most of these, the key ones last week. Oh, Bevan's remembered. Hold on, Bevan's remembered. It was altitude training. Right. You know what I mean? They they, they, they go and do the altitude thing at the thing. Yeah, I thought that was a total waste of time. There might have been a little bit of benefit, but I would much rather spend an hour training. There is benefit. Uh, But you had to go there every day for an hour. You've got to weigh all that stuff up. It was so not worth my time. Am I going to get a 2% gain from going altitude training? Uh, and which is going to take me half an hour to drive there, half an hour each way back, or is and an hour mm. in the bloody room. Mm. But these days, what's different now? When when you probably did it was you were sitting there just breathing and with the mask over yeah. your mouth. A little bit different now. We can actually go into the chambers and actually do the training. Okay, um, yeah, because I got that at Sportsman now, haven't I? Yes. Yeah. So, but it's, again, you've still got to weigh up. It's going to take me half an hour to get there, half an hour to get back. Is it worthwhile? And that's if you if you lived around the corner and. Uh, then I think it's a, it's a good decision, but if you had to travel fair, fair distances... Uh, has there been much science done on altitude training outside of altitude environments? Yeah, yeah, heaps. There has, yeah. is there? And, and it really has proven to be quite effective. Well, it's, it's very variable. So you have some responders, some non-responders, so it's, it, it is quite variable. Okay. Back to the statistic. Uh, so then we had that, Torsten's got there all the, the national records for males and females, and a couple that I we didn't mention last week that I was a little bit surprised. Some countries are really excel at different distances, and two of those are France and Spain. So Fr- Spain especially produce, are just producing a production production line of stellar Olympic distance athletes mm. but not so many on the long course so, it's interesting isn't it yeah Ivan Rana is uh, but he was short course wasn't he, he was short course yeah. and he's got a very fast um, time so his record for Spain over the iron distance is 748 at Ironman Austria and then France has got a massive triathlon culture and again very successful at the shorter distance are they still yeah, I look, very, I'm, I'm very, out of touch they're, they're very strong they've got very good depth um, and so their second and tier, third tier are very strong, but they, they, they've got the odd rock star in there. Uh, Vincent Louis right up there, and they've got some good girls coming okay. through. So, um, but Anthony Costas um, was the fastest time when he won Ironman Barcelona Barcelona this year in 7:49. And then on the girls' side of things for Spain, they haven't had any females that have gone under nine hours. Which is out of it, isn't um, it? So, now in the female side of the sport, night to you, are they strong? No, not especially. So not maybe, comparably to yeah, the guys. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Grutes Fradas Lerati uh, did a nine oh one in Ironman Brazil in twenty seventeen. So one thing that I did want to I'm not sure if I got this wrong when we did our informal research or I did it, but for Ironman New Zealand, I'm not sure if I quite got it right or not. So I'm going to make sure that I have got it right by using Torsten's stats. We're our fastest females ever for New Zealanders. Okay, let me guess. Okay, let me guess. I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at this. Okay, mm. so fastest females ever for New Zealanders. Joe mm. went pretty quick and wrote one year. Mm. Um, See, I did get this part of the equation right. There's only seven seconds. But Gina went pretty quick there as oh, well. There's a little bit more. There's one, one minute. So I'm going to say Gina, okay. number one. Okay. I'm going to say... Joe Lorne, number two. Mm-hmm. And then number three. 
Oh, Aaron Baker. You, you're getting the order right. You've still missed number one. That's all. Oh, what do you mean? We do, you got Gina oh, second. second. Oh, number Gina's one. Gina's second with an 8.57 at Challenge Road 2000. Is it really obvious? Am, am I missing someone really obvious? Not really, no. Okay. Uh, Joanna Lorne did 9.58 at Challenge Road in 2007. Uh, and that was the one that I couldn't find because I didn't know if she had I a did that year. Nine. Yeah, I did that and, year. And uh, Erin Baker at 9.05 at Ironman Canada. And I think Belinda won that year. Belinda won, and right. or maybe yeah. the other way around. Yeah. And then Belinda Harper was our fifth ranked Kiwi in Challenge Road in So who's the first? Britta Martin oh, with an 8.56. I, th- I think I might have got it, but I'm not sure. So I did want to make sure that Britta Martin, she won Ironman, Australia, uh, Ironman Western Australia in 2014 with an 8.56. Oh, no, I definitely want to get that. So really good list that Torsten's got up here. And as I said, um, we'll have him on next week. And uh, yeah, I think we did Canada. Fastest Canadians, obviously Lionel Sanders, Brent McMahon second, Jeff Simons third with an 8.04, Tom Evans fourth with an 8.07, and Peter Reid fifth with an 808 and then the fastest Canadians because I can't remember if I did Canadians or not was Heather Fuhr with an 851 in Austria Angela Neath with an 854 at Chattanooga Sarah Gross with an 856 in Brazil and Melody Elmore with an 857 in Ironman Arizona in 2016 and then Jen Arndt with a 859 27 Ironman Arizona this year okay the Canadians okay Jombo worked out quite well because Evans we're going to interview Matthew Evans. We have. So Matthew Evans is a psych... Yeah, we'll introduce himself. Yeah, his, that's his that's what we do. Expertise. Uh, but we're going to be talking about why people cheat. And it's a pretty interesting discussion. So here is Matthew right now. Okay, guys. Um, a few weeks ago, we had the incident of uh, athletes or people finding... Um, swim shorts and uh, you know the flotation oh, swim shorts in Kona shoved down the toilet and there was outrage and there's always outrage if somebody's busted for drugs especially age groupers rightly so remember the guy who did the flippers and some we had flipper incidents we had all sorts of things and I was sort of staying at the time I can't quite comprehend what is going through people's minds age groupers especially when they come out of the swim and they're so blatantly cheating that they actually have to go and take these shorts and put them in the toilet you know drafting's one thing but then and there's lots of different lines of uh, where the rules are adhered to and where there is absolutely blatant cheating and I was really keen to actually try to understand what's going on in people's minds when they do that so we've got a someone who might be able to help us out in this area Matthew Evans listen, he's not a great cheat let's just clarify that he's not a great cheat so he's not going to be advising on how we do it but maybe how we can best understand that so um, Matt, Matt, Matthew just tell us a bit about your background um, so people can get an understanding of, of where you're coming at this from sure thanks uh, well thanks for having me on first of all um, I'm a Work-wise, anyway, I'm a psychoanalytical psychotherapist. I work with with children in the National Health Service and in private practice in the in the north of England. Um, alongside that, I'm I've, well for about six seven years. I've been doing triathlon and eventually Ironman, and uh, I'm kind of reasonably competitive and uh, competed in Kona the other year. And so, so I'm at a kind of reasonable level, but not uh, not the top. Um, safe to say but uh, reasonably competitive um, but I, I guess I'm talking here from the, the point of view of my work and and, and you know and what kind of insight that gives me into uh, into some of the Ironman athletes and, and particularly the, the cheating side of things. Mm. 
So you, you sent me over some some notes on on your thoughts around cheating, and one of the things that came out to me is you sort of talked about you know the conscious conscious decision making and unconscious decision making, yeah. and maybe sort of run us through that and how it relates to to cheating, because a lot of people out there. Um, like to think their moral fibers in a very strong position but maybe just talk about how that sort of goes through different people's minds in terms of when it comes to that decision of bending the rules or actually you know flagrantly sure. going against the rules okay well i guess there's a the thing about psychoanalytical psychotherapy is, is that it kind of uh, emphasizes the importance of the unconscious when thinking about the the minds of individuals and i guess it kind of generally as people we like to think of ourselves as kind of you know kind of rational masters of our own destiny and uh, you know, my kind of training and clinical work makes it clear that even when we make what we think are kind of rational conscious decisions these are often shaped by unconscious motivations and that kind of encompasses everything from the clothes we wear the relationships we have with people the sports that we take part in uh, and the physical and um, mental health symptoms that uh, we develop um you know, when I first kind of began in this line of work, I had a kind of fairly narcissistic idea, and we might come back to narcissism later, <laughs> that I'd be hel- helping people that were kind of essentially like me. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of fantasy revealed my own unconscious motivation. And, you know, it's often the case when people do uh, psychological trainings like mine that, you know, they, they think that they're you know, helping other people, but really the unconscious motivation is much more about, you know, trying to repair parts of ourselves. Mm. Um but you know, I think that idea that that I could help people who were like me kind of pointed to a, a, an idea or a belief that people have sometimes, which you know that we're essentially quite similar or equal to one another. And I've had to kind of completely revise that belief as part of my work. And you know, I've, I've come to think that the similarities that we share in terms of our kind of visual outward appearance hide the kind of vast differences that exist between us in terms of our minds and, and ways of experiencing the world. And I think you know, when we're thinking about cheating in Iron Man, uh, the starting point is often to imagine what it would be like if, if we cheated or if we were wearing the neoprene shorts. But I think to really understand cheating, we've got to start from the point of view of understanding that you know, people who go to the extremes of cheating may often have minds which are kind of quite fundamentally different from our own. And it's a bit like you know, if you were trying to kind of imagine you know, what it would be like uh, for a person in a, in a country that you'd never visited where the language is different and where everything culturally is completely different you know you you would have to kind of assume that you would know nothing about that and i think it's probably important to take a similar stance when thinking about kind of these more blatant forms of cheating that we've uh, come across recently so i guess am i right in saying we've probably just got to be a bit more accepting and and understand that there's so many different Cultures is one thing, but just upbringings, it's just mass, must be so massively varied in terms of, you know, how loved you are as a child and, and, and whether you've got, you're living through poverty or domestic violence or mental, you know, just anything like that. Is, is that right? We've probably just got to be a bit more understanding of um, of, the, of people's different... Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think with the cheating thing, it's... Uh, it's like many things that you know, it can be such a broad continuum of you know real you know kind of Lance Armstrong stuff at one end and uh, and people who are kind of staying in the draft, drafting zone slightly too too long at the other end and 
you know, when I started trying to think about this whole issue, you know, because I should probably say you know, I'm I'm not an expert in cheating an Ironman. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of applying the stuff that that I know in terms of my job with with children to to thinking about how that would uh, translate over to the the cheating issue in Ironman. So I started thinking about kind of um, more ordinary forms of cheating, and uh, and I was thinking about. Um, uh, how kind of everyone cheats in some in some ways, and you know when I think about myself, I, you know when I think about the ways that I cheat, you know, it's not you know, you know breaking the drafting rules or, or wearing the neoprene shorts or, or anything like that. It's more about you know how I kid myself in relation to how much money I spend on triathlon, or uh, or you know I think at other times I can kid myself in, in terms of my capacity to keep my life in balance when I'm you know you know uh, training for an Ironman. And, uh, you know, I was saying I. I remembered. I'm sure it was some, maybe Melina or someone who you know, talked recently um, on the show, or maybe Bevan, you brought it up about how he 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 was talking about hearing uh, people at the pointy end, or or even uh, pros talking about how they keep their life in balance. And you're saying, you know, in, in the ten weeks leading up to an Ironman, no one at the pointy end of the field has has got their life in balance. Mm. You know, it's um, and and that's the truth, but it's it's the truth that's kind of hard to bear at times i think um and i think yeah well it's, it's like what you're kind of saying here is um there's this kind of self-delusion that we live in um in comparison to how's that different to someone who's actually deciding to make a decision which actually benefits them in, in the outcome but to the detriment of their competitors yeah i think that's where it gets it gets more complicated and although it's it will be a decision at some point it, it's how they how they can manage that decision within themselves, which you know, I think I think it's important for me to uh, to think about. You know, I, I make decisions about how much money I spend on a on a bike, or you know, how many hours a week I'm going to put into into training. Mm. And often, I, I know I make decisions which go you know, beyond what is reasonable, but I, I find a way to make that decision uh, more acceptable to myself or or to other people. So you know, when I kid myself. Uh, it, it's it's less about you know, kind of trying to pull the wool over my wife's eyes or or anything like that, and, and more about uh, pulling the wool over my own eyes, and, and that's that's no mean feat in some ways. And you know, I think this is something that people end up doing kind of unconsciously. And you know, one of the examples I tried to give was you know that when uh, when a magician is on stage, they're you know they're they're trying to fool the audience that they're gonna you know saw a person in half or. Or, or pull a rabbit out of the hat, and uh, but the psychological kind of manoeuvres and, and gymna- gymnastics I'm talking about in relation to cheating is kind of the equivalent of the magician, not only fooling the audience but also convincing themselves that they can they can do that, mm-hmm. and that's that, that's quite a hard thing to get your head around sometimes. Um, I see this this kind of thing at work quite often when you know kids will be caught red-handed, if you like, uh, you know doing. Doing things and sometimes quite serious things, and and you know they could be caught in the act, or you know the evidence is right there, and they'll still completely deny the you know that, that it's ever happened. And the more I saw this happening, the more I saw that actually they're they're not lying. You know they um, they really believe in that moment that what they've been accused of or what they've been caught doing hasn't happened. Um, and I, I think that's got a lot to do with. Uh, uh, your capacity to cope with guilt. Um, 
you know, guilt is a really kind of horrible, uh, grubby, kind of heavy feeling. Uh, and to cope with guilt, you've got to be fairly kind of psychologically robust. So if you end up doing something which then brings guilt on top of you and, and you haven't got the capacity to, to manage the, the weight of that guilt, then you have to find another way to, to get around it. And, and what I see these kids doing, and I think what happens with the cheating stuff sometimes, is that um, they'll manage to, to move that bit of reality to, to another part of their mind. So even though they've made, they've made the decision to do that in the first place, when they get caught, um, they kind of unexist it. Um, in a more extreme way, it, it, you know, it's kind of a more extreme version of me um, pretending that I'm spending a reasonable amount of money on a on, on a bike. Um, but it's it's really hard for people to to get their heads around that. You know, parents and, and carers will become incredulous that these these kids will then be lying as they see it. But it's uh, it's something a bit more complicated than that. You can you can um, you can never spend too much money on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess what you're saying is really around that sort of justifying your actions or justifying your, your sort of cheating. So it, uh, sometimes when you, you you see somebody and you know they're blatantly lying, is it just complete denial, as you, as you said, and, and they actually um, believe that, that, that what they're saying is actually true? Like, you know, say Lance Armstrong, in some instances, if we use him as an example, you know, you got the feeling that he really believed he wasn't actually cheating. Um, yeah. and, and so is, is denial part of it? Absolutely. Uh, uh, I think that kind of works in different ways. You know, I was thinking about the Lance thing the other day and, you know, uh, and, you know not wanting to kind of uh, diminish all the stuff that he did, but I guess existing in that culture where not just doping but, but cheating generally is, is so rife uh, makes it much easier to, to delude yourself that what you're doing isn't, isn't you know, out of the ordinary or, or dishonest in the slightest. Um, so that that's you know, that's one thing, I guess. But uh, I guess with some of the uh, the Ironman stuff, you know, we all know the, you know, the kind of people that, that do Ironman, the people who are attracted to that, you know, myself in, included. And you know, that I think there there can be a degree of narcissism uh, in the personality traits of the people who do Ironman. You know. Um, and I think that you know, narcissism at the extreme end um, involves a kind of a devaluing of other people. Um, you know, and it, it, that comes from a fairly kind of insecure place in the person themselves. But it's very hard for people on the receiving end of that to then feel uh, sympathetic towards you know narcissists who who might be um, doing them some injustice. But it, you know, if you see people as objects rather than human beings, then it's much easier to uh, to disregard them and to um, be dishonest with them, and you know, to not take their feelings into account whatsoever. Um, so I'm sure that's got a, a huge part to play in as well, in, it, in it as well. Uh, how much is it about? Like, I love this idea of personal credibility, you know, and, and that being. Um, that how I represent myself to the world is a true representation of kind of what I what I am, and you know, and it might be, and mm -hmm. how I kind of represent myself financially or socially or the way I act in my day. Um, and there's a lot of people who will kind of live a lie in that way. You know, they'll kind of say they are something that if you actually looked mm -hmm. at the deeper level, they're really not there at all. Um, and 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 does that cause cheating? Because 
I've created this perception of what I am and I actually aren't even close to it. And things like racing, the only way I can kind of get close to what I represent is to look for ways through it that are, you know, cheating based. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know when I've heard you you're talking about the cheating issue before, I know one of the things that you've brought up a few times is that idea about, you know, that it's it's perhaps more understandable in the pro ranks where there's, you know, financial um, livelihoods at stake, you know, mm. that, that that might make cheating slightly more understandable. But really, I think for the age group it, 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 who you know, goes to the extreme of cheating, the um, the things that they're you know that are important you know, aren't necessarily the financial gains, but uh, their psychological integrity. You know, if, if they uh, build themselves up to be or see themselves in their mind to be um, you know, the, performing at this incredibly high level, and if they don't do that. The, the, the cost of their you know, psychological integrity could be absolutely massive. And so from that point of view, I think it's almost more understandable than you know, that could be more important to them than, than financial issues. Well, and, and, and on top of that as well is that, you know, like it's not just the performance thing, but a lot of people actually create a picture that's that they're not even close to. So, yeah. you know, so the, the, the only option that really you do have is to look for ways to cheat because – They've represented themselves at a certain level to the world, and when it comes time to kind of prove it in a race, which is a great way of proving your ability, um, in that moment, you know, you, you know, you, you don't have the ability. So the only way through is to look for shortcuts, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, in, and then in those situations, uh, if you can find a way to uh, hide from yourself the fact that you're cheating, then then you can kind of square that circle if you like it and. Uh, and tie up all the ends, and, and you can really believe that it's that it's true. Well, there's this really good Woody Allen movie called Match Point. It's, a, it's an interesting film where um, a guy basically kills his, kills somebody, and and in the end he gets away with it. And it's kind of that kind of oh, once I've got away with it, I can live, I can get rid of the guilt. So he kind of knew he did the action, but then at the same time, it wasn't until he knew he got away that he lived guilt free. So I wonder if that's the same thing for a cheat. You know that they are probably a little bit fearful until maybe a week or so after the race or after the race when they know they've got away with it. I wonder if they are conscious of, of doing it while they're doing it, but once they realise they're scot-free, that's when they let go of the guilt. I, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking here. Possibly, yeah, very possibly. Yeah. So so just in terms of us, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe trying to think of some solutions, because often if we mention cheating on, you know, we put it on Facebook or something, most people's reaction, you know, safer is an age group are getting busted for drugs. It's like throw the book at them, ban them for life, never let them back in. Um, it, it, do you have any, I don't know, um, sort of how can we understand cheats um, a little bit better and, and how can we, I guess, create a culture where it's not so prevalent or is it a sort of more of a case-by-case basis that the people actually need some help? I think it, it's... That's a really hard one. I think it was only just yesterday uh, I saw a thing on uh, on the internet that it was you know a picture of someone, uh, two people crossing the line in uh, some Olympic track race, and and the picture was had been posted by the person who was at the back, and you know, and they were saying you know that it just came out recently that the person in front of them had been caught doping, and if they hadn't been, then they would have got an Olympic bronze medal or something like that, and you know, so the the pain of of you know being cheated out of something like a, you know, 
a, a bronze medal or gold medal or, or whatever is you know so acute it would be so hard for that person to then feel sympathetic mm. for the for the person who's cheated them out of that medal and you know, I think that kind of goes across the board that um, our kind of instinct, I guess, is to kind of heap shame upon those that you know, that, that we find cheating. But actually, that you know, in some ways, I think that just makes makes the problem worse and increases the, the issue of guilt, which then kind of increases the need to kind of deny it in the first place. Um, so it's it's a really tricky one. But I th- one of the things I was thinking about, it, it, certainly in, in relation to the the drafting issue. Is you know I've been at countless Ironman race briefings where we're you know we're told categorically you do not have to draft, and everyone sat there knows that that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I think from Ironman's point of view, it, it's a bit rich in some ways. You know, I guess what I'm trying to talk about is is the um, the need for. Or the struggle for people to to tolerate reality, and you know, the, when you're really struggling to tolerate reality, then you're more inclined to cheat. But when the organisation who's running the race is also struggling to tolerate reality, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, that, that that doesn't really create uh, good conditions for kind of being honest about things. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everyone knows that you, that you can't do it, but if if the organisation is pretending that it's impossible. And you can't really have a kind of an ordinary, um, authentic conversation about the the difficulties with it. And you know, I think those who are maybe already inclined to cheat may feel, oh, well, if they're going to pretend it's it's impossible, then I might as well just, you know, it it just kind of brings the whole the, brings the bar down a bit for everyone, um, and, and doesn't really encourage honesty. What about for people on the other side of the fence? So that we're sort of looking at it, trying to understand the people who are cheating. What about for the people that are potentially listening to this and they have cheated, maybe not just in a drafting sense, but actually have blatantly cheated? What some avenue, would they be conscious, very conscious of this if they're listening to it? And and if so, what's the best avenue for them to try to be dealing with it outside of actually going and seeing somebody about about counselling? But I guess it's a bit like you know the the the, the old cliche about you know in relation to things like alcoholism you know where the where the first the biggest step is admitting that there's that there's a problem mm. you know I could well imagine there'd be people listening to this who who cheated and are still saying well that's not me mm. um, you know but but there may well be people who, who listen to this or think oh well maybe maybe I do do a bit of that or um, and I think you know that that starting to admit something. To yourself is really the uh, the starting point, and it's um, it can be that can be kind of an issue that people might kind of tiptoe up to and then tiptoe away from and and, and go back and forwards with it for for quite a while um, because you know that there's the potential for having a thought about cheating an Iron Man to then kind of you know there could potentially be all kinds of other issues in, in those people's lives as well. So it's it's a difficult one. Um. Hmm. But maybe a good place to always start to is, is kind of a why am I cheating, you know, and then, you know, mm. if, you, if you can be self-aware enough to kind of see that you're doing it, 
is to figure out the why because it might be that I'm putting too much pressure on myself and I'm creating an unrealistic world. Uh, you know, it might be because the stakes are so high and I've, I want the rewards. You know, we live in societies where the winner does get a lot more kind of glory and attention and love. Um, and so we kind of, you know, so kind of ultimately it might be that the reason I cheat is because of my focus is on the wrong thing. Like for me, um, you know, like cheating's never been that appealing to me because the sport was always very much about me trying to find a higher level self. So absolutely, yeah. it, it would always go against, you know, now I, you know, I was lucky to win some races in my time or, or do well in my age group. And I did enjoy the reward of that, but it was never necessarily a driver. And I think sometimes when we put the focus on what we're really chasing, and we can really identify, is that actually the healthy thing I'm chasing? Maybe that can help you identify if, if you know, if that's the thing that's appealing with cheating. Yeah, I, mean, I think you know, that, uh, the idea that they might ask themselves why they're doing it is, is an important one. But you have to do that without, uh, you know, often people will come to see me about things uh, that they're terribly ashamed about. Mm. And, you know, if you have an idea that's, that something you're doing is terribly shameful, then it makes it really hard to, to have um, a straightforward conversation about it because it's so caught up in, well, I shouldn't be doing this, I'm a bad person because I'm doing this. And I think, you know, really the important thing is to try and set aside those kind of uh, judgments about kind of uh, personality or, or things like that and, and just uh, try and be slightly kind of less judgmental about yourself in some way so that you can you can have a more honest conversation with yourself about it. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing as well, isn't it? Is that, like, let's go back to that whole idea of that you're kind of cheating because you want to get a better social status, for example. Um, let's say you do cheat then, and you do get that social status. Well, that just builds more pressure for a future that's actually going to create more of the cheating sure. type of behavior. So it creates more pressure yeah. to be something you're not, which is not healthy in the long term. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, so, look, you've given us plenty of food for thought there um i've i think when we did the topic a few with the, with the shorts i was sort of saying i did actually feel sorry for the people that did it and and i do want to get yeah. a better understanding so i think you've given us some some good food for thought there for all of us to just understand where different people are coming from is there anything else you sort of wanted to, to go over on uh, on this topic not really I, I mean i guess iron man in some ways is kind of uh uh you know, a kind of hotbed for this kind of stuff because I, you know, it's so it becomes so important to people. Um, mm. you know, when, I, when I was doing my uh, clinical training, as part of that training, you have to have your own psychoanalysis four days a week, and uh, it was just around that time I started training for Ironman. So I spent four years lying on the couch, you know, talking about Ironman, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> some analysts knew a lot, lot about Ironman, uh, and I guess you know, one of the things that I I came to see really clearly is that you know the, the reason that I was doing it and that people generally do Ironman it's you know, it's not singular it's multifaceted and multi-layered and it's, it becomes hugely kind of symbolically significant for people and, and when it takes that uh, it takes on that um, uh, you know position in people's lives that it, 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 it's I think it can become overly important and I think you know in the stuff I sent you know, I talked about how I'm a you know, day to day, I'm a husband and father first, a child psychotherapist second, and a triathlete third. But certainly, in those ten weeks leading up to an Ironman, that gets a little bit um, that gets a little bit blurry. You know, it's uh, so it's, you know, it's it's quite nice for the race to finish and, and for my priorities to get uh, 
to get rearranged. And I think probably one of the key points is if is there's probably two things maybe to finish up on is if you are somebody who is deep down you know you are kind of as we talk about this stuff today that you you know deep down you know you're cheating or you know there's some stuff to work on within yourself that getting help is a great way through it uh, and then secondly probably the, probably the harder thing is if you know somebody's in this situation you're not necessarily cheating yourself but when you can see one of your friends is how would you approach that? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with caution. Yeah. With caution and and uh, sympathy and empathy, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm thinking about how I, you know these kids and I see at work who, you know, you know, I know from other sources that you know they're doing all kinds of things. But if I tried to talk to them about it head on, you know, it's they'd either just kind of walk out of the room or, you know, deny it. And, you know, my job becomes about kind of trying to drip feed them bits of reality in in, in doses that are small enough that they can take. Uh, and sometimes they say, actually, you know, I've been doing this this thing. And then they, you know, they start to tell me about it themselves. But it's, you know, it, you know I think a huge confrontation is probably never very helpful. No. Um, and a, a more kind of gentle um, tiptoeing approach um, might be more useful. Mm. Be, you know, it's you've got to kind of not fall into pretending with them. Um, you know, again, I'm thinking about kind of my experiences at work and how I have to have uh, one foot in the lie if you like, yeah. and one foot in reality and, and try and help bridge that gap for the uh, for the kids that I'm seeing. And, and, you know, so that would be the same for people who, you know, know people are cheating, that you have to kind of keep hold of the reality that it's happening whilst at the same time uh, allow them some leeway while they're moving towards, you know, uh, recognising that reality. And, and also recognising when people are just not interested in doing that and, you know, when they're, it's uh, when they're more invested in maintaining the lie, and, and in those cases, you're never gonna uh, you're never gonna get through to them. Really, I was thinking about kind of the Bill Clinton stuff. You know, it's yeah. you know, even when you you know confronted with you know the truth head on, you can still say, "I don't know what you're talking about," and, yeah. and, and that might be the case sometimes. Um, just finally, uh, when you, when you first rocked up to Kona, first time round. Do you, do you wander around just lapping it all up, do, or do you look around at people sort of uh, analysing them? What, what were your sort of impressions <laughs> when you first turned up in Kona? Uh, it's just a hotbed of anxiety, isn't it? <laughs> Gosh, it's, it was so stressful. Um, you know, just being around that much worry and tension, you know, for me was just kind of excruciating. And we were staying about uh, four miles down the road and, Initially, I'd be, I was really disappointed not to be staying in town, but you know, when we got there, it was such a relief you know, to be staying somewhere slightly further away. You know, I could only cope with kind of an hour or two at a time in, in the centre of Kona. It was just you know, oh, <laughs> too much, far too much. Uh, you know, a, a great experience. and you know, I, was, um, I wasn't going there to be competitive, really, um, I think perhaps because of that, I ended up having a better race than, than I thought I was going to do. Um, but he, he, even for me, not racing competitively, God, it was it was stressful. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, all the best with your winter and your racing uh, next season, and hopefully uh, you listeners have learned a little bit more about this topic. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Matthew. Thanks, both of you. Good to speak to you. And it's a hard one addressing of somebody, isn't it? Oh, it's just a hard topic to get your head around and just understanding how different everybody's minds are. I remember years ago I had a mate, a really good friend of mine, and we go to parties, and, and not kind of getting drunk and trying to shag parties, more kind of like a dinner party with lots of people and stuff. And he'd always represent himself to these people, and I knew it was all bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I was like, and I was like, and one day I was pulled aside and I said, mate, you don't, you don't need to do that. You know, like, but in a caring way, I was just kind of mm. said, "Oh, look, you know, um, you know, like, you, what you are is pretty cool. You know, you don't need to kind of make out you something more than." And it was, and he took it really well actually. And I think he I kind of helped him open it up. And it was, it was one of those conversations where, as a mate, I always think as a friend, a good friend will pull you up. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, my my best mates, where there's moments where I know I've probably let myself down, they're going to pull me up and I, and I want that in a good friend. And so I was a bit uncomfortable about talking to him about it. Mm. But at the same time, I thought, well, I would want a friend to do that for me as well. Mm. And, uh, and, and I really did think about hard about how am I going to approach it. And it was just from caring. And it was more just like, you really don't need to falsely represent yourself because you are kind of cool how you are. Mm. And, um, and, and, uh, and actually it did change him because he, I noticed in the future he didn't really do that anymore. But it was a hard thing to do. And I know it's not quite the same as cheating, but in a way it is because he's kind of cheating how he represents himself to the world. And, and like, you know, the, as we listen to that interview, for those who know you cheat, well, you need to get some help. Mm. But if you also know somebody cheats, it, it's a delicate, hard topic to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just understanding why people do it, and it's like prison and stuff. I mean, you 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 go and do talks at prisons and things like that. Just throwing the book at people is just not going to work, no, is it? No. And so, uh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you're all a bit more enlightened. I feel that I am. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting stuff. Okay, John, hit me with some music. music. Here we go. It's going to be it's going operatic. Operatic. Here we go. John's history, history lesson. lesson. Times of the, around this time of the year, you know, we need to bring up a few different topics because we're a bit short on content. This time around, you will have heard Bevan and I talking about the New Zealand coast to coast on many occasions. So I thought, partly for my own benefit, I want to go and actually see a little bit of the history of the New Zealand coast to coast. Now, and it must be one of the oldest endurance sport events in the world. It will be right up there. Um, you know, like other than cycling races, like Tour de France and mm. stuff like that. Multi-sport. So what year was it uh, first Ironman? It was 78, 78 wasn't, wasn't it? it? Yeah, because we used to see that Mission Bay top, didn't we? Yeah. Was that first triathlon? That was first Ironman. No, Mission Bay was first triathlon, but... That, maybe that was a bit earlier. It must have been 74, I think. Mm. Okay. You Google it, you okay. find first, out. Uh, yeah, okay, Ironman champs. Anyway, um, so the Coast to Coast is an event um, that comes really close to where Bevan and I live. It actually used to go past uh, the bottom of the hill that I used to live on as a kid. So um, it's very much an iconic event down here. And if you are at that stage in your triathlon career and you're thinking, I want a different challenge, is it a bit out of the box? This is a great event, but you need to go into it with your eyes open about what you're actually getting yourself in for from a skill perspective, fitness perspective. If you've done Ironman, you'll get through this without, uh, I wouldn't say without any problems, 
but it's basically like doing an Ironman, but the technical side of it to make sure you can actually get through the race is a total different story. So the first race was in 1982, and the first event was actually 11 mates, basically just doing doing the course together, and initially they did it, um, I don't know for how many years, it was a two-day event, and so they still have a two-day event these days. You can race it as a one-day individual, or alternatively, if you're not doing that, that's called the longest day, then there is a two-day option where you can do it as a team of um, team of two, or you can do it as an individual, and they now also have uh, teams of three, so it's... Um, and four, don't they? Uh, and you can also do it as a tandem as well. Yeah. Uh, so, and, w- and by tandem, we're talking, you're riding a tandem on the bike. Uh, obviously, you're, you're not piggybacking each other on the run, but then you've got a tandem kayak as well. So, started in 1982. Um, it's 242 kilometer journey across uh, the South Island from one side to the other. So, you start with your feet right next to the water on one coast, and you finish by dipping your toes in the water just down the hill from Bevan and myself. Uh, after that first year in 1982, the next year they had 83 competitors, which I don't think they were. Um, oh, the next, no, their first official race was 1983, mm. and they had 79 entries, which was a lot more, I think, than they had anticipated. The first winner um, was a guy called Joe Sheriff, and he did it in 14 hours and 11 minutes. And there was only a couple of females, um, and Stella Sweeney took it out in 17 hours and 30 minutes. 13 minutes again that was a two-day format these days in the longest day um, we have the winners doing it in around about 11 hours in just the one day format um, interestingly what we find of this race and is the females tend to be a bit further behind the males than what you might see at say iron distance races so I guess the times are a bit longer you know we're talking 11 hours here as opposed to say eight to eight and a half hours for a winning male Ironman time but typically what we find is in coast to coast the females are an hour and a half to two hours behind mm. um, I don't have a great reason for that but it is a race that gets very strung out very quickly especially for the females so you don't have a lot of company out there whereas maybe in, a, in an iron distance race there's a bit more company out there and a bit more things sort of keep you on, on track uh, just in terms of the, the layout of the course um, stage one you do a 2.2 kilometre run which takes you about seven minutes basically from the co- uh, from the water you run over these boulders and you run up to your bike and it's really just a way of <clears throat> breaking things up a little bit before you start the bike <coughs> and then you go into a 55k cycle relatively flat takes about an hour and a half uh, and then you're into the, the the chunky mountain run that's 30.5 kilometers um, Braden Curry went around two hours and 50 minutes last year so it's ballpark the same duration as a marathon except main thing is with this it's not a trail run it's pretty full on you're yeah. running over boulders you're going through awesome you know, but great run yeah waist deep could be chest deep water and you're you're doing some proper bushwhacking there are still some trails but it is not a trail run no. as what some people might expect and a lot of stony kind of riverbed running yeah yeah, yeah there's not a lot of trail uh, and then you have a small intermediate bike where you bike 15.5 kilometers and you run 1k down a hill so that's sort of the transition stage between the mountain run and heading into the kayak and then the kayak is a 70 kilometer kayak down a river and you have a run up a hill which is a bit of a gut buster that kayak varies quite significantly in time but the winners are sort of doing it often around that four hours mark but it can be a lot more it really depends on uh, river flow and at the moment without what is it 47 days of no rain yeah, interesting, the, right r- the, r- the river is dangerously low and um, you know I don't know if they either have they've, they've cancelled parts of the race 
through to bad weather, but I don't actually recall if they've ever cancelled the race due to the rivers being too low. But at the moment, I, I, well, no, I they did a bike. Remember one year they couldn't use the river and they did the bike. You had but, to bike it. Now they've done that because the weather was so bad that it was too high. But I don't know if they've done that when the river's been so low. Mm. Anyway, you come out of the kayak, you run 400 metres up the hill, and after you've been sitting on your ass in a really confined space for you know four to, I don't know, six hours for seven hours, potentially for some of the slower ones, to get out of your bike, boat and then run up this hill 400 metres, you see some pretty ugly sights. And then the final stage is a 66.9 kilometre ride, flat ride, often into a headwind, uh, flat but very gently downhill to Christchurch, and then you get off the bike and you run... 100 metres to the finish line on the sand and the beach in Sumner. In terms of the entry fees, it's pretty comparable to Ironman. Uh, the early bird entry fee is $895, so a bit more, but you can kind of see where your money's going in terms of the logistics they need. And as I said, it can be done in two or three person teams or two day individual, one day individual is the, the full Monty. Main points are, as I said, the run really is serious off-roading. It's more like tramping as opposed to, yeah, to walking on trails. And the kayak is a totally different skill that uh, you need to master. I, I shudder to think how crap I would be going down that river in a kayak. So just a, so a little interesting thing. The longest day came around in 1987. So the first few right. years it was only just mm-hmm. the two-day event. Um, Robin Judkins, so the, the race director is a guy called Robin Judkins. And Past race director. Well, yeah, not yeah. anymore. But he was basically this kind of mad scientist character, isn't he? He is a nutbar. He is a nutbar. And he, he's quite an aggressive character. Because mm. one day I was driving down some road in Sumner, and I, I don't know what I'd done, but he didn't like something about my driving. <laughs> he was abusing the crap He has got a fuse that's like <laughs> two millimetres long. But he was always, he got lots of PR in New Zealand because he was always kind of doing these PR stunts. Him and Steve Gurney, Steve Gurney was a, an iconic kind of racer of the race. Um, they'd do these crazy kind of PR stunts and he, he you know, he's someone who, I don't know if you want to spend a lot of close time with in your life, but he would definitely make your life interesting. But he was yeah. definitely an icon for the race. He ran it for the longest time, and now Richard Usher is, is now the race director because he sold it a few years ago. Uh, some some of the iconic athletes, so Steve Gurney won it nine times. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few names you guys will know. Richard Usher, he won it maybe five times. Um, Braden Curry won it four times. Uh, the girl side of things, Emily? Yep, powercookies.com. Um, and then we had Alina Usher's won it quite a few times. Jill Westendra, mm-hmm. she was predominant. She, Kath- she was a former triathlete as well. She, she in about nine, mid-90s, she was a good triathlete, sort of made New Zealand elite teams going to world champs, finishing maybe in the top 10 to top 20. Okay. And well, and, and she won it four times. And Kathy Lynch is the name that comes up. When we're That's talking about another her. character. Oh, there. mate, she was a nutbar. Yeah. Yeah, she was an absolute nutbar. But a nice, not a nice. Kathy Lynch had more balls than most men in the world, eh? She was hard She was like, she was just amazing. So, and, and that's the nice thing about this race is, you know, it's nice for triathletes to do races like this because it is a bit more grassroots. You know, it's got that adventure race feel to it. And which, you know, it's a bit rough around the edges, but, in a, you know, although it is a very professional race, it's just got that kind of, you it's more of a nature event in some ways and it's been interesting because we've spoken to both Braden and uh, Richard about the race in comparison to Ironman and it's definitely a different kind of challenge you know mm-hmm. like Richard and Braden both kind of said how Ironman's the hard bit's only really the last part of the run mm-hmm. and at that time you often got lots of people around you so it's quite motivating whereas in uh, Coast to Coast a lot of the harder stuff's earlier on in the day where you're kind of isolated so if you are looking for something cool and it's such a cool idea that you go from one coast within your South Island, New Zealand, mm. to the other coast, especially if you do longer stay. It's a pretty special thing. So if you're interested, check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes for this week. John, 
Why not? Oh, John, I actually want to take it back a second here. Just going back to the, the um, discussion we had with Matthew Evans about cheating. And he, and he brought up a really good point about Iron Man as an organization and saying how there's kind of a delusional part of what they do because they've got to say, oh, there's plenty of room not to cheat. And everyone, <laughs> while they're saying that, everyone knows you're talking crap. So it made me think, is there, would there be a demand for two types of Iron Man racing? So one type of Iron Man racing would be draft legal. So you do a draft legal race, you can draft. Yeah. The second type is a higher entry fee, less people, but non-drafting. So your, your draft race, you pay a thousand bucks for, they can get as many people as they want on the course. And then for a non-drafting race, they limit to, to let's say 800 people. You could pay maybe two or 300 bucks more for that. And then, but you know, they're not going to be drafting in that race. I just struggle to see there being demand for a draft legal race for over that distance. I definitely it makes it an easier race, doesn't it? It does, but it, it, I don't know. From a personal level, it certainly doesn't appeal to me. The appeal for, for me, and I think a lot of people, is there's so many different variables on the day in terms of getting your pacing right and all that sort of stuff. It's a different uh, kind of race. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we're kind of happy, like, would you rather that where you know you can draft and it's a different kind of race and you're going to have to condition yourself differently than your experience of Kona where you turn up and it's like, I'm not going back because I was bloody having to think about drafting all day. Yeah, yeah. No, no. For me, I would definitely be choosing races going forward where I know there's. So would you pay a premium for that? So let's say. Even I don't pay for anything. I know, but, let, but you <laughs> know. I was like, in that situation. But your Kona experience was ruined because mm. you hated the bike. Mm. And because the whole time you're thinking, am I drafting? You got a penalty. You know, yeah. your whole energy in that race is oh, drafting, yeah. not what's my best performance. Mm. So you either choose to make a race like that, you know what, draft legal, mm. and then you just got to know how to play the game differently. Or you go, okay, I'm willing to pay 300 bucks more to go do a race, which I know. That's basically the best performance as an individual on the day mm. in the conditions which is very much that kind of solitude experience. Putting that, if, if we put, put Kona as an isolation event, I would be happy to pay more entry fee for there to be a solution where drafting was mi- minimised as much as as much as much practically possible while still being able to have a, and numbers a on the field is the key to mm. that, isn't it? And that's what kind of Matthew's saying is that they, at the briefing they say, oh, you going to have to draft and, and everyone's going, whatever. So if they said to me, we're going to do Saturday and Sunday. I know, and yeah, well, I yeah, believe that's yeah, not yeah. practical. No, but, but, yeah. but if they said to me, you pay an extra $300, we're going to do Saturday and Sunday and we're going to do wave starts. And One day's draft day, next day's. Well, no, more more just spread the race okay. out so you can still have that number of people. Then I'd be saying, I'm all in for that. And then, But, but then you could also have drafting races. I think people would still do it. Maybe that's a good discussion of the week. Well, we're kind of having it. Yeah, we'll, okay, we'll, we'll do that next week maybe or, or in the new year. I just struggle. I well, it's a big problem in the sport, but isn't it? And mm. there's, and there's no solution right now, and it's actually kind of it does two things. It kind of creates cheats. Mm-hmm. Now it's not putting bloody swimming paddies on or bloody yeah. nappies yeah. on when you go for a swim, but 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 it is you know you got you kind of got to make a choice out there in the race. Everyone's mm. else doing it. What am I going to do? Um, which kind of again, all your energy is going into this decision around position on your bike, not how do I be the best athlete that I can be. It's it's kind of for many people that's kind of doing it kind of ruins your racing race day experience. And mm. so there's got to be a solution. And this is some way of thinking about it. Yep. Just one other thing on the practical side of things. If you're listening to that. There's not many races where you can actually do, do draft legal races just because you've got to completely 100% guarantee the roads are going to be closed. 
that makes it very, very difficult. How do they get away with it anyway? But like you, like you look at an Ironman race, you've got 2,000 people on the course. How do they get away with... Like it's pretty much drafting anyway. Yeah. We've got big problems in the sport. <laughs> We've got big problems in the sport. We haven't got big problems with training though this week. Beverly. Way or the week. Let's do it, John. The, uh, the category this week is number six, which is swinging the most runtime. Swinging. Jim Plunk at Cole we must did, have been we listening. Did last week. Well, oh, this is what random.org gave me, Bevan. Oh, okay. Jim was like, I am, I am number one. He is number one. He's back do on Do not top. take my title away. 11 hours, 36 minutes from five runs. Uh, aim on... Pipegrass was second with also five runs, but only managed eight hours 37. Goodness, big gaps here. And then also with five runs, Tom Vickery from the Erdinger Alcohol Fray in United Kingdom was four hours. The girls' side of things, Kim Anderson Hadley was first with a nine, 5.37. Uh, second was uh, Anna Marie Watson from F. No, RFM Coaching, and she did three hours 13. And with a one, one big long run, Jenna Carr Seyfried was two hours, ten minutes. John, do you think old Jim's ran across America yet? Pop him a note, Bevan. We'll find out. Can I might try to put up a Strava. Mm. Okay, John. So uh, this week's week is If week. you want to get on there and make sure you get your name read out, especially if you're doing lots of training, you need to be on Strava. You need to have your profile as being public and then you need to join up to the IM Talk group and you can see what everybody else is doing their training. Uh, you can go and check out the leaderboard on traintrends.com slash Strava slash IM Talk. There's 622 members in there, uh, 1,097 activities in the last week. So good and, work. And you, I, I don't think he is because if you look at his runs on Strava, they're a bit more kind of out and backs now. So... Anyway, well done, Jim. You win again. You're winner. You're winner, Jim, yeah. the winner. Okay, John, our sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Fuel 5 Plus. Yes. So this is uh, Extreme Endurance's um, energy drink, but it's with the plus. So Fuel 5 Plus is a cutting-edge energy and carbohydrate formula mix made from six different sources of fuel, four different types of carbohydrate, plus lactate, and caffeine, that's the key thing. There's a proprietary blend of organic sweet potato, maltodextrin, dextrose, lactate, and sucrose is designed to give the body its preferred substrate. To promote glycogen synthesis, Fuel 5 contain, Fuel Five Plus contains caffeine derived from natural green tea to help increase focus and performance. And I can vouch for this does increase focus and performance. I've told the story before, but I was coming down from Harvey, feeling a bit sorry for myself when we had our training camp over there last year, and my aim was to try to ride back the whole Queen K back to Kona um, at Ironman effort. And I was thinking, God, this is going to be a real bit of a challenge here. Uh, so I started chugging away on the Fuel 5, which I filled up with um, at Harvey, thanks to good old uh, Dr. Feelgood Dave Dwan being there in the support vehicle. Yes. And uh, I was going down thinking, oh, God, God, got down to Kawaihai, which is at the bottom, and then just started to climb. It's thinking, still not kicking in. Got on the Queen K, started kicking in. All of a sudden, eyes are a bit wider, started cranking it. So really, really good. Uh, it's just a different taste, um, the old Fuel 5. So if you are someone that uh, just likes to go through the ride with a bit of variety in terms of the drinks that you have, and you also want to get a little bit of a kick, then uh, check it out, Fuel 5 Plus. Put on the promo code IMTALK20, and you get yourself 20% off. Again, 
Extreme Endurance, great Christmas present. If you want to give presents to other athletes or you want to suggest presents for people to give to you, maybe just things that you haven't tried, maybe you've been using the Extreme Endurance and you're thinking, they talk about that Fuel 5 quite a bit, maybe I'd like to try that. Uh, maybe give them a bit of a suggestion. Nice. And remember to give them the promo code as well because we all want to save some money. That's right, John. What's the promo code? I am Talk20. Check it out, xendurance.com or any of the European sites, the .co.uk or the dot. EU, all those ones, uh, the promo code does work on there as well. Get it anywhere in the world, guys. Okay, guys, Ironman, first Ironman was 78. 78? Yeah. Well, I think we established that. When was the first triathlon? But Mission Bay Triathlon, when was that? Okay, first triathlon, here was we go. 76? 76 oh. rings a bell for me. No, 74. I think 74. I got it right earlier. Yep. First triathlon back back to, straight back to the early 70s and originated in San Diego Track Club. The triathlon was designed to be an alternative to hard track training. The first triathlon was held on September 25th, 1974. And Don Shanahan and Jack Johnston are pioneers of the sport of triathlon. Although that is debated by John Hellman. He does a bit of a talk on the, the French, history of triathlon. Yeah. with the Fre he, he reckons the French, and God knows they like were... 1920 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's amazing. It did take a long time to, because it's kind of obvious after the fact. You know, sometimes in life, someone invents something. You go, oh, obvious. Why didn't someone do it twenty years ago? Yeah. You know, and the triathlon. You know, swim, bike, run. It's just a classic sport. We live. We've got the most classic sports. Oh, it's isn't a classic, it? John. It's classic questions mm, and answers. Andy Ashton, who's wait a second? Who's going to win the Christmas cracker this weekend? Yeah. Tyrone probably. Tyrone, never heard of Tyrone, yeah. but it sounds like a well, mean name. He beat me in the the bloody Wanaka Challenge Wanaka half last year. Oh, okay, I know Tyrone. Yeah, so yeah, well, you uh, blew up, but he raced pretty strongly. Yeah, he did, he did. You know, I'm not taking anything away from him, mm. but you really did stuff up. He's that race. stepping up to the full. <laughs> you cocked up that race. <laughs> Struggled a little bit in the last ten k's. <laughs> not a little bit, a lot. Uh, I was like, I was on the commentary going, Newsom's got it. <laughs> so <laughs> a few weeks ago. Um, one of our runners was doing the Queenstown and he's and uh, he's doing the race having a blinder halfway through just feeling great yells out I've got this oh no <laughs> they just crumbled oh, from there no. had a shocker after it I've got this oh, so never call a race until you finish the bloody thing okay what were you going to say Roy? Uh, Christmas Cracker Tyrone and Ty he's, he's heading down to do the full this year and that's going to be the cool thing with the Challenge Wanaka full yeah. is the pros this year are racing the half so some age groupers are going to be taking home the bacon and the full well, there's no money in the full is there there isn't but there's a lot of glory apparently they're going to give away bacon yeah <laughs> there we go <laughs> what about girls uh, oh, I haven't actually looked at the start list for the girls it's a very low key event that I'm putting on this, this weekend it's grassroots and I really promote it like that it's you pay your butt money you're getting a race number and you're getting a finish time and that's it. You ain't getting no bag. If you're a member of the Tri Club, 39 bucks to a triathlon. That's pretty good. That's pretty reasonable. Will you get many people there? Uh, I've got about 150 entries already. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay, uh, questions. Andrew, Andy Ashton's got through. I'm loving the show, an avid listener, but on this week's show, you said Alistair Brownlee wasn't enjoying 70.3 Bevan said that. Well, it was allegedly. I did put allegedly before it. So I thought I'd ask. I would. Uh, I thought to myself I would ask him this question as both Johnny and Alistair were coming to my local bike shop, Sigma Sport. Give them some love to do an intimate Q and A on Thursday. So my hand shot up, and my first question was, and I asked Alistair if it was true. A slightly worn out Alistair answered by saying it wasn't that he wasn't enjoying it, but it was different. 
it's PC. He doesn't like it. <laughs> I'm reading between lines here, Alistair. As he told us, he used to he, he's used to the hustle and bustle of ITU with guys racing around him, rubbing shoulders, etc. He feels that 70.3 distance, you swim, look at your power meter for two hours and then run. Not really ever seeing your competitors. Because <laughs> he's so far in front. Yeah, true. On both on positive note, both brothers said they want to go on and do race Kona. So it's kind of cool. Thank you, Andy, for being our roaming reporter. Actually, if we had Brownlee, Gomez... And the other guys who have got there racing in the next year or two. Oh man, I hope it happens. Because you just see Brownlee and Gomez just blitzing everybody in the swim and Frodo. Because if we get Gomez after the, the Olympics, he's a bit long in the tooth then, isn't he? Yeah, and then then you'd see all the the bikers trying to come through. It would make for a very interesting race. Oh, it'd be absolutely fantastic. Okay, we've got an email here from oh, Ryan Kelvin. Ryan Curvin. Uh, he was over at Ironman Western Australia, and we were babbling on about it last week. Um, and we weren't really sure when they actually pulled people out of the water in the iron distance in the race. Yeah. Unfortunately, the swim was cancelled due to the sharks sighting the swimmers that were in the water with the 70.3 athletes, which included my wife, who went off uh, about... 10 minutes into the rolling start after I saw my wife in the water I returned to transition to get my bike ready for the full which was a bit over an hour away at that point all athletes were told to go to our bikes and wait there until we get information there was lots of confusion as most of us had no idea what was happening and it took a long time to get information at all as a result most of us stood around in the sunshine on a effing hot day and we had to stay by our bikes couldn't go in the shade sit down fuel ourselves communication uh, could have been much better the heat really punished most of us out there especially those had to wait until almost 9am before starting the DNF rate was around 20% which I've never seen before Um, for those doing their first Ironman I can understand the disappointment and would not blame anyone for not going back there again this is the second time within 12 months when sharks have affected the swim at an Ironman slash 70.3 so it was a very very hard situation and we can confess that uh, I was speaking to guys that were over there and they were saying it was so hot on the run Uh, um, they were saying they're running along and people were just lying down on park benches. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Wow. Doing, uh, well, 20% is pretty rare. I think we've had a couple like that over the years, but it's very rare to get that. And I think off. also, you know, when you've got that duathlon format, the swim often acts as that long warm up for yeah, the bike. And you kind true. of, by the time you actually get onto the, the um, bike, you kind of relax. Well, not relax, but you're, you're into Ironman mode when you've got run from transition jump on your bike you're pretty fired up and it's a bit harder to button off when mm. you've got a lot of people around you Rob Moore a patron associate so thank you for the patron shout out last week boys John Newsom, you'll be pleased to know that your coach's corner tip saved me at the run at Ironman Cosmo after feeling amazing through 15 miles the wheels started to come off at mile 17 I went from asking my girlfriend where the first age group amateur was to asking how far back second was in my age group only one minute I slowed down through the next aid station and took your advice of when falling apart start hitting coke uh, I'd never taken on coke in a race prior well that's interesting isn't it uh, but I started to hit it hard at mile 20 a five year old Cosmo boy gave me a full picture of it <laughs> that's a lot of coke <laughs> to get through that is I must have looked wrecked within minutes I got my pace back on track and was able to hold off to get under nine hours strong tip Fantastic. love your work that's awesome sub nine I think one of the key things came out of there you you really need those emergency strategies to pull out of your back pocket if things are yeah, and that's not being negative when you're doing your race planning it's actually being prepared shit for happens. when shit happens yeah. how you're gonna you're gonna deal with it well and so there's two things on that this is kind of how you're gonna deal with it so like john's coaching tip was get on the coke and, not, and rob hadn't tried it gave it a shot 
it worked. But also when shit happens, letting it go. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I remember I, I coached a guy to do Ironman Taupo a few years ago. And um, and I said to him, and luckily I said this before the race, I said, look, mate, something's going to go wrong today. Something always goes wrong in an Ironman. And you can let it ruin your day or you can just deal with it and get on with it. And I think his seat broke. So it was pretty serious, right. you know. And he had to, he lost like 20 minutes. Now, he was it was the first time, man. He wasn't trying to win the thing. But he lost like 20 minutes waiting for the van to come. And he said to me after the race, I'm so glad you gave me that advice because if you hadn't of, it would have ruined the race for me. But he, he was able to have a really cool experience. And so, as you say, shit's going to happen. Mm. Learn to deal with it. But also mentally, once you've dealt with it, let it go because you can't. You can't. That's not. You can't help it now. Still salvage a lot out of races. Yeah. Okay, John. Sponsors or patrons? Uh, how? How now? Brown cow, dolphin. That's one of the best ones of all time. That is a that's great gold, one. Yep. Light it up, Ben Cox. That's pretty good, good as well. And Speedy G. Robert Aruda. Aruda. Okay, John, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious on the website, guys. You just support us and what we do, and, and it really does help. Seriously, it does. Mm-hmm. And also, we will be going to Kona next year, if so you're going to draw to come to Kona with the boys. When will we draw that? Uh, I think we said we're going to do it about March time. Okay, good time. So in the new year. Mm. John, your goss. My goss, Beaver. Oh, wait a second. Sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Electric Buffer. And our patrons. And you guys rock. And if you want to email us, I'm talking a podcast at Gmail. We've closed off our Facebook, so you can't email us on Facebook. Yeah. So if you want to email us, do it that way. And um, if you get the email, show email to you just on the front page of our website. There's a link to do that there. John, your goss. What's my goss? Went to what I go? Went to Chicago at the weekend. Chicago, the musical. Oh, cool what do you think? That was good. Chicago. Yeah, some good singing, good dancing. Do you like your show? Yeah, it was good. Really good. Enjoyed it. Booked my tickets for Star Wars uh, last mm. night. So I'm going there on Sunday night. Decided to go for the extreme screen. Oh, you've got to do it, John. I didn't go 3D. I've gone extreme screen. No, that's the way to do it. Is that the way? Oh, yeah. good. 3D's crap. Great. Yeah, I kind of was saying that to Phil last night. I said, oh, 3D last time. It was okay. Yeah. But uh, so we've gone the extreme screen. Now you screen. want big screen. Oh, great. Yeah. I feel reassured now. Yeah, yep. And I'm doing I'm doing Friday. Because Joe goes to me. Because Christmas shopping is about maybe halfway done, mm-hmm. maybe a third, but I've done none. Mm-hmm. And Joe goes to me, babe, can we do shopping together? And I'm like, okay, how do I make this work? So I go, okay, let's do Star Wars first. So we're going to Star Wars on 10 o'clock on Friday morning. Yeah. And then we'll go to Star Wars and then we'll do some shopping. Nice. Yep. Um, do you know how long it is? I'm going to guess. I'm going to say two and a half hours. Well, so I booked it for 6.30 on Sunday night yep. because the girls are away, boys night out. <laughs> something to eat. Party time. Um, we're going to go for eight. Well, we'll just go into the mall, so we'll just go. With Thomas, it's pretty restrictive. It's basically oh, getting course. hot chips somewhere, and that's about it. Can you do the, Can you do Indian? No. No, Indian no, would be no good, would it? No. Um, and so booked at 6.30, sort of thinking, oh, because we put our kids to bed pretty early. So What time know, do you put the kids to bed? We, Five? Get from school, get to bed. About seven. It <laughs> can be anywhere between six. Because when you're six, a kid... The, the thing that's most important in life is staying up later than bedtime. Now, now kids are good like that. Oh, Between they? 6.30 and 7.30. And, uh, but they get up early, so that's all good. So I'm thinking, oh, we can have a little bit of a late night. 6.30 movie, 9.20. Yeah, but you've got 15 minutes of ads. Mm. So what's that? So six, yeah, so it's about two, two and a half hours. It's a long movie. But anyway, it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it's it. It's getting good reviews as well. Early up, I haven't read it. I've, I know nothing about it. It's, it's not officially out till two days, is it? Well, I know they've done the the, the, the launch, the last, launch, yeah. but yeah. Um, so that's my gossip. Even this time, watch your watch your movie food. 
I'm too cheap for getting food and movies. But you're not going to pack and save and get food from there. <laughs> <laughs> I do shop at pack and save. Um, I, I always go to pack and save because right. you go to the movies and buy food, John. You're you're dropping twenty five bucks for oh, one yeah. person. Yeah. Pack and save four fifty. Bottle of diet coke, coke Zero. Bag of chips is only a dollar fifty at pack and save, mm. and then you've got like I normally get a, a, a double dip chocolate. Can you can't get your tangy fruits though? I don't even know. There's a special, the special lolly in New Zealand. You, you, you couldn't buy them anywhere. It was only movies. Unless yeah. you went to movies. They're called tangy fruits. And they are good. It was bizarre. Kind of really hard on the outside and you've got to just work away on it and then it's kind of soft on the inside. Oh, it was really good. I've had yeah. tangy fruit in years. Mm. So that's about it. This time next week, we're going to be wrapping up the show and within an hour or two, I'll be off to Christmas holidays. Next week, my Christmas present to everybody hopefully will be confirmed. And uh, what you're going to a Christmas present to everybody? Yes, but we're producing that next week. Everybody on the show? Yes. Wow, I better, I better sharpen up. Yes. I'm going, to, I'm going to write cards and send them to everyone. Everyone send me your address. No, we've got a Christmas present for all you <laughs> listeners next week. Oh. Yeah, okay, well, I don't know about this. Well, you do know about it, but you probably haven't joined the dots together. Oh. Okay, well, I'm looking forward. I to emailed you. you this morning on it. Oh, oh, the, okay. That, oh, Christmas present. Yep, you won't want any other present. I'm pulling my finger out. Uh, any other gosh, John? No, what's happening in your world, Bevan? Play bowls. Lawn bowls. Lawn bowls. Bowling. Lawn bowls, John. Nice. Yeah, but I wasn't that good. Because mm. what we did is we had our Taken work Taken down function. by an 80-year-old? Kyle, no, because we had work. Kylie Cox was there. Mm-hmm. Gail Harvey was there. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, we had, yeah well, the coaches were there. Um, and I went with Gibbs, and Gibbs is a bit of an athlete, so mm-hmm. I thought Gibbs and I, they're going to take it out. And the first round, we took on people who, the, the first, because we did a couple of practice bowls, mm-hmm. and met one of the coaches, his wife, uh, Carolyn, she did a couple of practice, and it was like, I almost needed to stop her, because Joe's dad coordinated it for us, and he said, the only thing we don't want is bouncing on the on because the, <laughs> the, the, the greens cost yeah. thousands. You know, they spend, yeah. like it's an art form. Their greens, and her first bowl was like she was doing an overarm bowl from cricket. You know, <laughs> so I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble here. So I was almost like, oh, and I was trying to just politely. I don't want to kind of you know, I said, oh, you come down to your knee, and yeah. So we're thinking first round we're gonna smash them. It was, a, it was a, basically a, an elimination thing. Well, they ended up beating us. Oh, no. was not happy. And and even in the last round, I did this really good bowl. I was like, sweet. We, we, lost, well, we did three ends. First round, they won. I was like, okay. Second round, we came back. And third round, I was like, I, I had to do a bowl. And I was like, sweet. And then Caroline was up last. So I was like, got this. Mm. And she did this bowl. It was literally, you know, because you meant to have it. She kind of did it on the wrong way. So it's kind of rolling around like yeah. this. Lands right next to the bloody white. <laughs> I was not happy, John. So we, we did poorly. You should have put on a protest. Yeah, well, I was coordinator. Maybe I could have done that. Pulled rank, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not a cheat, John. Because I'm just doing camp. You just design it for yourself. A, uh, but you've never won the red, the gold, have you? <laughs> let's not <laughs> go a there. Small point. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> and actually, one of the persons who won gold a long time ago has proven to be quite a cheat. Yes, <laughs> but let's not name names. Yes. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. Iron Russ. I'm in. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker. Kicker.